This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 233, about Jessica Jones, season 3, episode 10, a.k.a. Hero Pants. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, episode 233, where we are talking about, a.k.a. Hero Pants, Episode 10 of Jessica Jones Season 3. I'm wearing my hero pants. I hope you are too. In fact, mine's more of a hero kilt, actually. <laughs> uh, but I am one of your kilt-wearing hosts, John. <laughs> I have no kilt. I am wearing pants. Uh, I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And in the infamous Jimmy Fallon, Will Ferrell, I am Chris, and I'm wearing my tight pants. They're tight hero pants. Nice. I've got them on. <laughs> are they AKA budgie smugglers? <laughs> grape smugglers grape <laughs> smugglers <laughs> i am so glad we only have a video of chris's head for our podcast on this episode i also want to point out we did choose the only non-irish speaker um to say the n- number of this episode 233 is a difficult episode number for most irish people to say so we uh <laughs> we opted for john to uh to present this episode <laughs> <laughs> but then to mess with everyone in a hundred episodes, you're going to have me going tree, tree, tree. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also my kilt is going all Marilyn Monroe on me at the moment. So, uh, yes, allow that to seep in, fellow defenders. I knew allow I should have turned off that fan. Allow that to seep in. But... Before it seeps in any further, remember, you can follow us over on TV Podcast Industries. Pop over to our website, tvpodcastindustries.com, and you can subscribe to us on any drunk or sober podcast player of your choice. Just click and connect. You can send your feedback emails over to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. And of course, over on our TV Podcast Industries website, you can leave up to 90 seconds of your own voice so that you can come in with our own dulcet tones uh, with your feedback, thoughts, or comments on all things Jessica Jones Season 3. But with that little public service announcement out of the way, uh, yes, on with our spoiler-filled review. So, Derek, hit us with some of the episode details, but not quite as hard as Hellcat. I'll try not to. I'll try not to. Uh, this episode was written by Hilly Hicks Jr. and Jamie King. A really good team up here. Uh, both of these guys have been writing on the show for right back to season one. Uh, Hilly Hicks Jr. wrote six episodes of the show, including, of course, I Want Your Cray Cray. I have to mention it because it does make a resurgence <laughs> on this episode. Uh, JB King wrote four episodes of the show and has acted as story editor on 11 episodes since the first season. So two very, very detail-orientated members of this team-up. And I suppose with the funeral of a major character on the show, it does make sense to bring back two people that have, that have written lots and lots of episodes of the show, doesn't it? I think that plus the obviously uh, ending where we see the uh, complete evolution, the final form for all my Pokemon listeners, uh, of a character in Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these writers have nurtured these characters for a number of seasons, and it's kind of nice to give them the, the fruits of their labor, if you will. Exactly, exactly. And this episode was directed by Sanford Buxtaver. Uh, Sanford has done tons and tons of TV. Uh, most notably, he's done 
all of the Chicago drama series with Chicago PD, Chicago Med and Chicago Fire. Um, done eight episodes of the drug drama Power. And he's done one episode of a Marvel Netflix show before, so we have talked about him on, over here. Uh, he did the penultimate episode of Iron Fist Season 2, War Without End, an excellent episode of Iron Fist as well. Wow, that is Chicago Central for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, did he do Chicago Deep Pan Pizza? No, just PD, yeah. Mad and Fire. Okay. <laughs> but what about Chicago IT? That's the one I want to see. <laughs> well, have you tried switching it off and on again? It would be just the catchphrase from that show, wouldn't it? <laughs> Did you do Chicago City of Wind? Nope. nope Windy just, City? Just Iron Fist. That's it. Okay. So, uh, which wasn't set in Chicago, so he moved all the way to New York for that one. Or Chicago and Obama, the early years. Yeah, Obama was the senator, I think. He was the representative from Chicago, or that's where his base was. Well, before we get too political here on our podcast, John, do you want to let us know what they gave us in your synopsis for the episode? Well, I can give you a clue. It wasn't Chicago. (laughs) Nothing to do with Chicago. It was more New York, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. But of course I can. Sure. As Jessica Jones and Trish plan the funeral of their mother, Dorothy Walker, Jessica is preoccupied by who murdered law-breaking police officer Carl Nussbaumer. The police tale think that she is the prime suspect in his death. But a niggling thought plays at the back of her mind, as she suspects that she has inspired her boyfriend, Eric Gelden, to act the hero, put on those hero pants, and murder the slime ball. But Eric insists he is innocent. With the New York Police Department still on her tail, Jessica's former assistant, Malcolm, helps her out by investigating Eric now that he has some free time. Meanwhile, Jerry Hogarth tries to coax Trish out of the shadows, and she is also tempting Kith to be indebted to her as Jerry proposes a solution to Kith's financial troubles. While Jessica reflects on the death of her second mother at Dorothy's funeral and listens to Trish's eulogy for Dorothy, she realises that the masked vigilante may not have stopped her nighttime prowling. Another big episode, really the follow-up to last episode where we talked about uh, the death of Dorothy and the reaction of her two kids to the death, this one being the funeral of Dorothy. I think it's quite important to have an episode where we have um, such a big character remembered in a way and to have a funeral for that character, you know. Um, I think they did a really good job here. No, but I actually feel that they actually almost improved on her character because they gave these tidbits, and we'll talk, we'll discuss them later in our case notes. They gave these tidbits that mm-hmm. actually showed she cared okay in her own way but actually that own way worked out quite well and it was, it was when remembered with kind of grief it, it brought the mm-hmm. what, what was thought to be malicious was actually not malicious um so mm-hmm. we'll discuss that more but it was really interesting to see how they continue the character's legacy from beyond the grave if you will Mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely some good revelations in there for both of her daughters uh, as they get to the funeral scenes let's get on to our case notes though yeah case note number one the cinematography yeah Yeah. we don't really call this out as a a single point we may make reference to particular scenes and how things are shot definitely there were three really wonderful shots in this episode uh, from director Sanford Bookstaver and there's a really really nice establishing shot of New York where um, you know, it almost looks like a model village or a model city, you know, yeah. and certainly um, he does like to use the soft focus around the edges, yeah. uh, maybe slightly more appropriate to some of Malcolm's scenes uh, with Barry, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, you know, he really does... Uh, 
and it's quite a nice aesthetic i think it, it it softens it and then and then he gradually brings it into focus so really nice use of the camera here with those establishing uh scene shots really yeah uh, where it has this soft focus uh, and yeah. a very deep set of rich colors i think as well yeah i noticed the nighttime one as well over the city of new york where um i think it's the empire state is in focus and the rest of the um the hudson river and the and the bay are all in soft focus as well uh, to some of our younger listeners um you may not remember this but on tv when there were sex scenes they used to be in soft focus now they're in 4k high definition <laughs> just to show off the marvel abs <laughs> of one of the people involved so uh <laughs> so what john's referring to there is the old sex scenes on tv shows <laughs> but he does have some wonderful touches in this episode there's that fantastic moment we'll talk about a lot more of what's going on in jessica's life but just specifically the image of jessica crying in the mirror as the camera focuses in on her as she begins to cry i really loved that that way that it was picked out by the camera in this scene because it almost looks like there's a bit of a distance created between this crying jessica versus our normal stable strong powerful jessica who would never be the one to, the first one to cry it looks like he's creating this lovely image of her that couldn't possibly exist in the real world of jessica jones so he decides to take that image of her from the mirror uh, i think it's a really brilliant choice yeah, and I know I'm going to steal one of your points, Derek, but for me, it was the the shots of where we see Jessica overnight watching Trish's apartment, and it's that revolving mm-hmm. camera shot where Jessica's in her hood, she's staring at Trish's apartment, she's basically watching for Trish to come home, she watches all night, and it's just that uh, mm. basic circular shot, but they have a pole in the middle. And that pole in the middle changes Jessica's, yeah. almost Jessica's face as it passes over, where she's getting angrier and angrier and kind of more determined yeah. uh, as the shots continue and the day breaks. It, it's literally watching Jessica's point of view shift throughout the night yeah absolutely i think that's even the image that i've chosen for our uh, episode artwork this time because effectively that whole scene is it starts off where her face is fully in shadow and then we have this wonderful moment any old school t- star trek fans out there might recognize the half of the face in white and half the face in black where she has two completely different sides of her attitude of what could be going on in trisha's apartment effectively making the decision as to whether she's going to go for the light side or go for the dark side and then as it gets to morning time her face is fully in light her face is fully in sunshine as she's determined now to go after trish uh, as her quarry effectively because she thinks trish is doing something really bad um just wonderful things picked out in this episode by this director it's not not something we've experienced much throughout this season um but really cool to have this kind of cinematography on screen yeah th- this was really good I-, I must say it it almost felt to me like uh, cloak and dagger that just with uh, the other mm. marvel tv series where you have you know the the lightness of, of um the of dagger and the the darkness of cloak and and just how that interplays with um jessica's face here it, mm-hmm. it was almost uh, it, it had that vibe for me um, and it, it was really nicely done, really nicely captured. And I think, you know, the, these TV shows have some really good uh, cinematography in them. And, and sometimes maybe it's a little more obvious than uh, with other episodes. But, you know, there's some really nice stuff going on here in, yeah. in this episode uh, in particular. Uh, and, and it really actually fits with the feel of this episode, which is it's actually quite slow, but it's... I mean that in a really good way because it's kind of 
Dorothy's death and her murder and the funeral just absolutely overshadow everything in in this episode. Uh, And it's kind of that sort of elongating of time when you're grieving and the bereavement there. I, I think it really lends itself to that thematic kind of aspect mm-hmm. of this episode. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, so I, I kind of want to move on to the actual main point, although the cinematography, I agree, it's just fantastic. Like, the the last shot in the whole episode, mm-hmm. for me, is amazing, converting a character into pure malice. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll get there. Moving on to case number two. Let's talk about how Eric has been investigated by Alias Investigations, Yeah, if you will. Yeah, we ended our last episode. Um, I know, Chris, you weren't here for this one, but um, we talked about in our last episode about this idea of setting Eric up as a potential villain. So he has to be investigated. And I think they go out of their way to really show him being investigated and really set him up as a potential murderer here. Um, I particularly like, obviously, it's the name of the episode, the AKA Hero Pants. I particularly like this idea that Jessica's going... Uh Uh-oh, have I done it again? Have I set up somebody else who is trying to become a hero and ending off murdering people? You know, I really like that idea with Jessica. Yeah, I think think the whole sort of bluff here with Eric being investigated by by, uh, Jessica and by Alias Investigations is really uh, nicely done, actually, because, yeah, you're absolutely invested that um, even just with the flashback that Jessica has when she's speaking with the um, police officers that are in her apartment, where, you know, it has Eric uh, thrusting um, Nussbaumer up against the the, the fence, mm-hmm. you know, that all lends itself to um, him seemingly being um, guilty. You have the, the notion of, you know, what he's said previously to Jessica that maybe he needs to think about getting those hero pants on and actually doing something um, sort of better than, than what he has been doing, which mm-hmm. is effectively blackmail. Um, so th- there's all of this. And, and it is nicely done. I, I think even when you, you see him and he's not got any damage to his knuckles or his, to his fingers um, from punching and, and battering Nussbaumer, you know, he, you, you go, okay, uh, th- yeah, I think he's innocent, but the fact that Jessica still has those suspicions uh, about him and, and goes to investigate his apartment, I think is really nice. So I, I love this kind of red herring mm-hmm. that, that is thrown out there, which is uh, Eric Gelden. I think it's really nicely played. Yeah. And of course, you can kind of maybe expect this. You, you think that because really um, Trish is set up in this episode as the grieving daughter, mm-hmm. you know, um, not being able to deal with either Hogarth being the executor of the will or the whole um, funeral arrangements. So it, it, it's, you know, it's also sort of amplified by seemingly Trish being, um, you know, suffering from her bereavement and grief in yeah. this moment. So it's, it's really nicely done. Yeah. For me, upon my second viewing, I started to notice how Eric was the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. In the first viewing, I'm the same with you. I'm like... No, he's done it. And when, yeah. even when we get the, the, the information about, well, his hands should have been hurt mm-hmm. um, from the beating, I was like, okay, well, maybe they're going to set him up as the villain. And it's, he he didn't just have power, uh, his power. Maybe he has a super accelerated healing. <laughs> like, I thought they were going to use that. And I'm like, 
okay, the, 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 yeah, maybe they, they're just going to, they will set him up as the big bad mm. now that the two degree Salinger's out of the picture right now. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, it was just, it was interesting to see where each piece of evidence that Jessica finds nearly exonerates him. Yeah. yeah. To a degree. And then it all starts to change. Yeah. Then it's the Montero file. And it's Jess going, I, I'm doing it again. It's the problem. I'm setting up these... She's building these new wave, this new breed of vigilante mm-hmm. um, based on what she used to do. Yeah. So it's just quite interesting. And it is very hard to, I suppose, transfer over her belief that you don't kill the bad guy. You, you set the bad guy up and the bad guy goes to prison because she has that... I suppose that baggage from killing Kilgrave back in season one, you know, she has that baggage. She can't tell anybody else. Don't do that. Cause she did that back in season one. So what happened in season two was she told that to Trish, you can't kill my mother. We're going to have to work out a different way around this, but Trish killed her mother. And now this season she went up, she's going up against Salinger and she doesn't want to kill him because that can't be the final solution for a non-powered person who is a serial killer. She can't just kill him. So, um, so she's really worried that she could be setting up another hero here. I love her turn of phrase here and um, where she's going through all of uh, Eric's stuff, trying to find the uh, cop's badge that she thinks is planted or kept as a trophy by whoever the murderer was, where she goes, one story is always two, the one they show you and then the damn truth. As if, you know, I don't want to find out the truth about this guy. I want to find absolutely nothing. But I'm going to go through the motions, check every single place in his house. And that's where she comes across this Jace Montero file, the exact same type of file that he had on Nussbammer in the past. So she thinks this is his next victim, effectively. Uh, and effectively it was. Hmm. <laughs> if we get into it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how even his story last episode where he's in the car with Jessica telling about how the first time he started getting his powers, he did what he thought was the right thing, mm-hmm. which caused an immeasurable grief yeah. and harm yeah. to him and his family. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting to see that this is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I'm very interested to see what the turning point was. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll probably find it out over the next three episodes. What was the piece that convinced him uh, in the end? Oh, yeah, yeah. To do this. Yeah, we did talk about a little bit on the last episode, Chris. The one thing that we thought was when Eric um, came back up again against Nussbammer, who was a terrible guy, paid him 10 grand to keep his story quiet. When he comes back up against him in the last episode, you hear Eric going, this guy is even more tarnished than he was the last time when I got this money out of him. He's still doing it, and now he thinks he has a shield and gets away with it effectively. So we think that's what it is that pushed him over the edge, and that's why yeah. we think Jessica believes he's the murderer, because he's now seen when you let someone go, they go even worse. So that's why we think Jessica thinks he's the murderer, is because he's been pushed over the edge by realizing, uh-oh, the thing I did was really stupid, taking money off them and losing it in, in a gambling game. I should have actually done something with my power. So Yeah, part of me, though, was saying in my head, though, when we saw him, when we saw Salinger touch him, mm-hmm. he started screaming and bleeding from the eyes. Oh, yeah. If punching someone is still touching someone. Mm-hmm. So part of me was always going, 
it hurts him. To, it would hurt him to punch bad people. Right. <laughs> um, and you could see him when he brought Nos Bomber up to the wall and the, or sorry, up to the fence. Yeah. Um, he looked so angry and I was like, okay, this must be holding like everything in because he should be violently ill in a second. Mm. Um, so that's always why there's, there was some questions at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to see that we, we get the, the, the file on, on Jace. And with everything going on, this is where we get the reintroduction of Malcolm to Elliot's investigations. Yes, here's another thing we didn't think was going to happen this season after after season two, that Malcolm would return to the fold in Alias Investigations. That was Just a great moment. Absolutely. And love the reaction of Gillian to him being reemployed, going, oh, we have disposable income. If we have disposable <laughs> income, I would ask for a raise. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> no, this was a really sort of nice moment having Malcolm back on the team. And I love the fact that, you know, that welcome back from Jessica is, is, is tinged with a little bit of a dig where it's like, you know, if the new you is less of a sanctimonious a-hole than uh, before, then it will be an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as he tries to say, oh, I've done some bad stuff whilst yeah. at Jerry. And it's like, yeah me and you both kind of thing says jessica so uh, it's nice that she she welcomes him with a hug and a knee to the the old midriff i think really (laughs) um i I, you know it's the way you would want it it to be i I think one of the interesting things here i I kind of have a theory around eric um trish uh, and hogarth to be honest Mm -hmm. here on this because i mean i don't know whether i'm just not understanding it but that there's part of me you know the those files in eric's closet Mm -hmm. or the box of files i mean it can't just be coincidence that trish is going after those same ones and it's like so is she planting them or is um she effectively breaking into his apartment to get these these files and going after the people that ultimately he's been targeted with so that Hogarth can then get this super and effectively pin the blame on him. So even though we've not seen her dealing with Hogarth, we know that Hogarth wants to get in contact with Trish. Yeah. So is Hogarth try? Maybe she's not going to go after Trish because she knows her. Okay. But she's trying to effectively implicate Eric, in all of this, um, he's the fall guy for being the super-powered person um, who Hogarth is going to go after. So you think Trish is trying to implicate him? No, or Jerry's trying to implicate Jerry him? is, and using Trish to go after these people. Mm. Because are these the files from Hogarth's office? Or, like, what I mean is, how is Trish going after the same people? Ultimately, it with Jace Montero. Maybe I'm jumping ahead here to the one of the other case points. But yeah, yeah. Why are they both in the same location? Oh, a hundred percent. I don't understand that, but I do think it's just Trish and Eric. I don't see the connection to Hogarth just yet. So I, I just think things have been playing out off screen. Um, we know that Hogarth wants to speak with Trish. Yeah, He's got yeah. this offer. We know it's going to be something to do with Dimitri. But is it also that in order to have her I'm anti-superhero credentials still playing out that she t- tries to to use these crimes or, or these apparent murders of Jace and Nussbaumer by pinning them on Eric, even though it's all, you know, we know now that it's not him. Hmm. I, I think you're 
two steps ahead in terms of <laughs> I, and I, I think you're right I think that's where things will go I think essentially where where I'm going and I, I think this has happened is uh, the the files are not the same files from back in Hogarth these are the files that um, that Eric put together uh, for his blackmailing Mm. Um, so that he had all the information when he was because he followed the people looking for when he found remember yeah back in the original he found bad people with bad juju he followed yeah. them so what I'm assuming is is that Trish later on decided to um, follow or we get in contact with Eric knowing that he he has a list of blackmail victims yeah. in Ireland who did very bad things. Uh, That's yes. how they got together. Yeah. And then Jerry is going now knows that uh, Trish is the vigilante. She's going to blackmail her into doing something against Dimitri. Yeah, I'd agree, Chris. And I think from what you were saying about the last episode with Eric confronting New Spammer and not being able to complete his task and beat him up effectively because it's hurting him so badly yeah potentially he's using trish as his as his fist effectively so, so yeah that is an interesting idea but I'm, i don't think i don't think Je- jerry's connected in there let's let's actually talk about jerry let's move on to our case note number three um jerry needing to color outside the lines because that kind of all starts with jerry trying to get trish into the office and it, it doesn't really give an explanation as to why specifically she wants her in she doesn't seem to push it with anybody but she is trying to make arrangements for Trish to come into Hogarth and Associates. Now, we know, obviously, as the audience, we know that she knows that Trish is the master vigilante. But yeah. from what's happening in there, she seems to be trying to make an appointment with her. She's trying to get Jessica to arrange the appointment and set it up for her to come in, but not worry. There's nothing, nothing to worry about kind of thing. She's not pressuring anybody. So it feels like she is trying to eat, to use Trish, to blackmail Trish into um, maybe using her to kill or attack this guy, Dimitri Petzeris, who's been so much hassle to Kith. That's what it feels like, but I'm, I'm just not exactly sure what's going on. I can see why you have the questions, John, as well. So. That's exactly what I think, because we get that scene where uh, Kith mm-hmm. drops over the, the original uh, account. It, by the way, uh, that was such a plot point it was just like enhance 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 oh we can see it now that's not how imagery works in computers but okay let's take a step back on that one anyway unless she has the same high technology that malcolm had because malcolm was able to do some similar kind of stuff to that wasn't he search every single database for a face to find who it was so she definitely has some tech i'm not sure whether hogarth would be the person that would be able to use that tech because she's never been seen as a techie on the show no exactly but it's also they, they Pixels cannot be enhanced and mm-hmm. split, but anyway, unless it she was may have taken, put in those four K cameras and maybe her CT, maybe CCTV, you know. <laughs> Remember, she's only had this office for a, for less than a year, True. so maybe that's it. But uh, but yeah, it does seem like one of those um, plot type moments yeah. um, that you only get in things like CSI, you know, in the very near future, but not the exact time. <laughs> Minority <right>. reports <laughs> of me Jerry transparent screen and using her hands and gloves to manipulate. Moving on, anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. She, just because she talked about coloring outside the lines with Kit there, uh, I and she sees that you're mm-hmm. as the audience, yeah. we're like, okay, this she we know Jerry is not afraid of going outside the lines and how far going out the lines, not just as she says, getting her friends and accountant to get the files because someone owes her a favor. Uh, like that's one thing. 
we also know Jerry yeah. is probably willing to go above and beyond that. So when we have Jessica yeah. collecting Dorothy's materials and her will, last will and testament, um, and you see Jerry going, oh, I thought it would be Trish. And, well, maybe you could get her to come in because we need to talk about the estate and the case yeah. and things like that. You're like, no, you don't. No, no, you just literally want to confront. So I am looking forward to that scene yeah. because you have the the iron will of Jerry Hogarth against now potentially a very fractured mm-hmm. Trish, uh, an unstable Trish. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. I think Jessica even says to her, um, "You should be happy. It's me um, that's here." Uh, I I love also as always with Jerry Hogarth. It is in the words she says much more than just the intent as well. I love oh, that she says, yeah. to "Jessica, I thought it would be her daughter," and Jessica goes, "I, I am her daughter." She goes, "No, her absolutely. actual daughter." Yeah, and just a nice little dig at Jessica. Uh, we'll, she is cold as uh, ice, is Hogarth. Yeah, we'll, she we'll, really is. We'll definitely talk about the will reading in our next uh, our next point. But um, but in this point here, just the discussion with uh, Kith. There's tons of stuff going on with how Jerry is speaking to Kith in these scenes. I absolutely love it that she effectively the reason why she's asking Kith's permission to go outside the lines is exactly as Kith sees directly through her is. Because she wants Kith to say she was right to do what she did to her husband. That's the only reason she wants permission to, from Kith is because she wants her to say, oh, my husband deserved it as well. And I'm giving you that permission to go after Dimitri because I'm the same type of person as you believe I am. So uh, loads going on in between these two characters. Yeah, I mean, there's that great moment where Jerry kind of with the slip of her tongue um, does say, you know, don't worry, sweetie. Oh, I'm, you know, but carries on. Uh, I'm investigating it mm-hmm. uh, when uh, she gets Kith to effectively sign up to a loan from Jerry. So, I mean, not only, yeah, she's got her by the financials, she's also got her uh, by the the ethics uh, as well, mm-hmm. you know. What did you think about Jerry falling over? This is such a tough one. I was actually going to put this into our notes, Chris. I'll, uh, to be honest, I was going to write it in our notes and I was going... I can't tell because it's not real because obviously the actress, Carrie Ann Moss, who plays the character, doesn't have this disease. So either it's bad acting or she was trying to show Kith and and doing the fall over accidentally. But because Kith doesn't see it at all and doesn't react to it at all, I think it was just a moment that that wasn't sold by Carrie Ann Moss to be an accidental fall over. Okay. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> If Kit had seen it, I would have gone, oh, definitely, Jerry's playing this up for, for sympathy. You know what I mean? But because she didn't see it, I'm going, oh, maybe Carrie Ann Moss just didn't hit the mark 100% to make it, to, to sell it that she fell over accidentally. Yeah, you know? I, I'm, I'm ten, really I, difficult I'm thing to do, I'm sure. leaning towards the, the, the same, the secondary, because we've seen her uh, fall well. So mm. I think it was a mark thing. But at the same time, part of me was going, I don't put it, I don't put it above Jerry to do this. Yeah, like I, I really think that Jerry would have done it, hoping Kit goes, "Oh, are you okay?" And then she can yeah, exactly. jump into it. Like I think if we're gonna if we're gonna see that, we're gonna see it at a very specifically determined point by Jerry in the future, where it's a perfect point of manipulation if she's going to throw herself into that. This feels like she's still chiseling away at that layer of Kit that she needs to chisel away at to allow her to accept Jerry back in her life. You know, she's already got the financials, as you say, John. She's already got 
all her manipulation in there to make sure that she's going to see her really regularly. And then maybe she starts going down the path of and feel sorry for me. But a quick question. Do you Mm -hmm. think Jerry is being played here by Kith? Possibly. Yeah. Because, you know, I I mean, it it kind of struck me with the whole uh, when Kith sort of invokes the name of Laurel, uh, her, her son, I won't be with... Uh, with him, he won't be able to see me. I'll be in jail. You know, all, all these things are ramping up, and and maybe if this is some kind of um, concerted effort, given that Kith, I think, is increasingly realizing, if she didn't know already, that Jerry, you know, what a, a bad girl she's been mm-hmm. um, in in respect of her husband, even though what her husband did um, also is is not good. It's the fact that, um, you know, she really went after him in this way and she's trying to get Jerry to do it again. And it it links into the whole thing with Malcolm about having done stuff that he maybe shouldn't have done, that maybe um, should Jerry ultimately be doing this? I, I suspect not, because on the one hand, we're saying it's so that Jerry can get Kith to say yes to the thing that she did to Peter. But at the same time, is it even legal that they're looking at this in in this respect? I don't. I think Jerry can make anything legal <laughs> that she kind of wants to, because that's always been Jerry's character. I absolutely hope this is a long game of kits to get yeah, me all too. of Jerry's money, get all of her legacy, and destroy it all to get payback for what she did to her husband. But I think that's where the game started, if there is one at all. And I think simply her signing this document that says she'll take the loan from Jerry, hmm, I think she'll walk away from that pretty quickly. And she probably knows she doesn't have to actually pay any of it back. So Yeah, part, so the, the, the thing that got me was when Jerry was taking her pills and struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gets the... like, And it was one pill, two pill, and the third pill was the big question... And then we see Kith's call, and then she does... I I think she takes the next one. We don't actually see her taking the next one. Where I see this potentially going, and I'm hoping it's... I don't know if they'd go this dark, but who knows, is Jerry is going to put all of herself into this to try and fix Mm -hmm. this relationship with Kith, um, because she feels that's what she deserves in her last few days. And Jessica brings it up. Um, Jessica says the the similar line of those who don't know they're going to die do good by the world you know you're going to die and you're not doing anything Uh, I'm paraphrasing here but that was essentially the line that Jessica says to Jerry and Jerry says nothing back part of me sees that this is Jerry going to try and in her eyes get the redemption get the love of her life the things she's missed out on all her life because she knows it's going to end where I can see it going is she's going to get to the end of this. Kith is going to savage her in a way. Like, she's going to rip out her heart. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, she's going to get Kith off. Kith's going to go, no. Kith will do something yeah. very dramatic yeah. and kind of completely destroy Jerry. And I think mm-hmm. Jerry then may... Who, don't forget, we've been told she has illegal pills that will kill her. And she couldn't do it herself. I think yes. that will be enough to push her to the edge where she may do it herself. I don't know if that's a good character end 
but it feels right. But at the same time, it feels very wrong. I don't know. I can see that happening and I don't know how I feel about that. Well, we've been hearing from a lot of our fellow defenders in our feedback. And I think a couple of us have mentioned on the episodes how much this season of Hogarth has turned us against the character and how much more aggressive she seems to be this season. You swerved just at the point I thought you were going to say exactly what I thought was going to happen, Chris. I think possibly Jerry is setting Kith up to be the one to give her the pill. And Kith does it out of malice rather than out of love. Um, I think that's that could happens. be interesting. Yeah, we, heard, we yeah. heard from Jessica. You know, Jessica was going to force her to eat that pill to show her how much she was putting into the palm of Jessica's hands. Now those two have completely lost any kind of respect for each other, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about um, in a moment. But she's starting to build back up with Kith. Potentially, she tells Kith about this arrangement, and Kith takes her life. You know, that's that's entirely possible. So, really good thoughts there, Chris. Yeah, no, some great stuff there. But on to our fourth case note. Not wedding planner, but funeral planner. Mm. Or funeral planning, yes. Or funeral planning, indeed, (laughs) yes. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. And I I think this is the pin for this episode. Absolutely. Um, And I have to say, you know, we've talked about this many a time. Dorothy is a little bit of a complex character. It's the person you love to hate because she was so awful, it would seem, to... Um, to Trish and Jessica uh, as a mother when they were growing up. Um, and yet she has such a great um, acid wit and interplay with Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you absolutely do. And then you get this whole um, element uh, and side to, to Dorothy where 50% of her of her will, uh, of her estate, um, is going to her charity, a foundation, which is also a tax shelter, <laughs> but a foundation uh, to help, you know, aspiring young actors with talent to to reach those heady heights. Um, and, you know, you have at this funeral all these um, mini eulogies being played out as Jessica and Trish make their way to to the front of the um of the room to in order to start the funeral yeah. and it's really quite interesting it, i mean to to say that there has been a redemption to some extent of this character maybe not 100% yeah uh, but maybe that you know she's used to speaking to Trish and, and Jessica in that way but within the non-family setting and uh, maybe tax shelter aside, some good has come from her self-centeredness. Yeah, I love that little conversation <laughs> between Jessica and uh, and um, Jerry, where Jessica goes, that's definitely a tax haven, isn't <laughs> absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> and Jerry confirms it. Yes, it is a tax haven, but it's also charity. So there is some good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I still think I love to hate her, but I do think that this is a really uh, great little... Um, moment uh for for dorothy you know from beyond the grave Mm -hmm. Uh, and i do think it's great to have this underpin this entire episode yeah uh, and how it affects uh jessica and trish yeah definitely and myself and john we're talking about jessica jones outside of the podcast as we also talk about on the podcast um i think a lot of this hatred of dorothy that a lot of us have does kind of stem from a slight misunderstanding of how she's described. She's described as whoring out her daughter when she was a teenage girl. I think a lot of people took that literally, as in that she was sending her daughter off for the casting couch so that she could get jobs kind of thing. Um, Really, it was talking about the fact that she would send her daughter off for any job that would pay money to the family 
quaffers and covering up all those drug problems and all the drink problems. We know that Trish got so bad that she was having sex with people to get drugs off them kind of thing. So, And Dorothy was also covering all of that up. But it was much more about her being this stage mom and pushing her daughter towards these um, these jobs that she wouldn't wouldn't do anything particularly for a career but would pay money and keep her in the spotlight and that's kind of it even though that was having a an issue on her mental health is more of what it is so um so while dorothy is a really bad person i think some people and i know at times i've confused it myself in my head because of how strong jessica is about her um i think we may have gotten made her even worse than she actually was meant to be in the show. Um, she is abusive to to her daughter on many levels and definitely on, on a mental level. But I think she was more pushing her daughter into jobs that she wouldn't necessarily take rather than anything worse than that, I suppose. Oh, yeah. But they do it so well in this episode where they start to show that some of the things that we've taken for granted were misunderstood. And the best example of this is that Jessica is in the will, the will and testament when Jessica gets the, um, she gets the the breakdown that first of all Trish is getting fifty percent of, um, of Dorothy's estate, the other fifty percent is going to the charity. Jess is getting her the contents of her liquor cabinet, which I thought was brilliant, <laughs> but then Hilarious. the Edwardian wingback armchair, mm-hmm. and. Jessica thought, she's like, is it a value to sales? And she goes, no, I used to come home every day and sit in it when it was in the lounge with my Walkman. And then it was moved into my room. And I thought mm-hmm. it was for them to saying that I was no longer welcome. But actually, yeah. we now find it It was because I'm, just, I, I'm taking it as that Dorothy was like, this is now your chair in the back then. And now she's yeah. actually going, no, this is your chair. This was your chair. Yeah. But even the phrase that's in the will from Dorothy, where Jessica does take it as a dig, and it is a little bit of a dig. She says that her adopted daughter, Jessica, had a lot of potential, but just wouldn't take advice. Remember, this is Dorothy, who loves giving advice, yeah. and Jessica has always stood up against her. So she's not necessarily really throwing another dig at Jessica with that line. That's just a Dorothy thing to say. She's saying, you have so much potential, but you'll never listen to my guidance. And if you did, you could end off being as amazing as, as Trish, yeah. effectively. So, yeah. so it's not necessarily a dig. It's just a Dorothy thing to say. Exactly. No, and that's exactly what they, they've been stri- They actually managed to get across in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because I, I'm going to fast forward it slightly into the actual funeral, just mm-hmm. for one scene, where we start seeing all of Dorothy's other clients and people she's touched. And we get that montage f- uh, element mm-hmm. where you have these stories of people on how Dorothy has helped them. Yeah. And my God, like some of it's terrible. Like basically she says to a slightly uh, a normal looking person, don't go and lose weight because mm-hmm. you're going to get those average looking Joe jobs. And yeah. you're like, the way Dorothy delivers advice is bad. And we've always taken it at face value. Yeah. Um, but actually through that scene, through this whole episode, through little things, what they're slowly telling us was that actually Dorothy was not as bad as we took yeah. at face value. It actually, she did care about Jessica. She did care uh, about yeah. Trish. It's just, she didn't, 
show it in the best way. She didn't give the best advice in the best way. She didn't verbalize it. Yeah. Yeah. She could see the niche in people. I mean, it's almost, as you say, with the the sort of large lady or even the guy that came out and she says, well, say it uh, because you'll be able to develop your career in this way. So it's like she, as as you say, and you have the eulogy from Trish as well, who, who brings out this fact that she always wanted people to bring out their best uh, and bring out their potential. Yeah, I think that is the big moment, really, isn't it? Trish going up uh, to the actual place where the funeral's happening, thinking that there's going to be nobody in the room because everybody hates Dorothy. She's a really pushy woman. And then she gets there. There's so many people there that she changes her entire speech and her entire way of talking about her mother. She wants to to get up there and just tell a load of Dorothy-type stories, as she says, and then goes, well, actually, I want to tell you about her greatest fear, which was that you people here in this room wouldn't realise your potential, and that's what she was trying to do her entire life, was trying to make all of us, including me, realise our potential. Um, That's when it starts to bend a little bit. We do see Jessica realising that potentially Trish is the killer because she sees the marks on her arm and realises that within the words of what Trish is saying, she's actually saying, my mom would have wanted me to go out and be this vigilante um, and live up to the best of my potential as a vigilante. So once again, taking inspiration in the wrong way, which Trish has been known to do many times in the past. Uh, One other thing about this point of the funeral planning, it is so well done in this episode, the steps that Jessica goes through in her own mourning for this woman that she didn't really like very much. She spent most of her life protecting Trish from this woman's worst impulses effectively and we see her going through the grieving process so well throughout the episode the the first scene where we see her being really annoyed at the funeral home with this guy Jean who's telling her (laughs) Dorothy's plans and everything's laid out the way that Dorothy would have wanted and you see kind of Jessica bristling at this a little bit about this guy kind of inserting himself into their family problems and their family life kind of get the feeling like Jessica just wanted to kind of throw her over the back edge kind of thing rather than actually have a funeral for this woman. But she has it all planned, you know. But we have all that moment. We have her getting a bit annoyed at Jerry uh, Hogarth and then getting a little bit teary, I suppose a little bit, at the idea that actually this woman might have known her a little better. Um, We then hear her phone going with I want your cray cray. uh, Uh, That was excellent. Which is great, just showing Dorothy's love for her daughter, so much so that she would have that song as her ringtone five or ten years after the song came out in the charts and crashed and burned her daughter's career. Um, <laughs> but then we hear the phone call, one of uh, one of Dorothy's clients, thanking her and saying how much of a loss it must be for Jessica. So that gets her a little bit more teary-eyed. Then she finds the old camera and has the film developed. And then finally we have... She sees the sees the photographs, but finally we have Jessica walking into the room and seeing all of her black clothes in a row and as I was saying to John after watching the episode, this is totally a comic book Jessica Jones moment. You can see the thought bubble above her head going, which of my black clothes will I put on <laughs> today to show that I'm in mourning? Because all I ever wear is black clothes anyway. So will, will there be any difference to anybody? But it finally hits her as she is dressed up to, in, you know, pretty smart black clothes awaiting to go to the funeral that finally hits her. I just love those steps to grieving that Jessica goes through for this woman that, as I say, she didn't really have much time for. Definitely. I think the build-up is really nicely done with Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so many nice little touch points for, for Dorothy, like the I want you cray-cray, um, the, 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 the sly dig from the will, you know, um, there's 
the old camera and you know as Trish and Jessica reminisce about that day um work for with the shot of the feet in in the puddles <laughs> and stuff and how it was just a disaster yep. stale hot dogs i think as well were mm-hmm. brought up uh, well, I love that. I love they miss the Macy's Day Parade. They yeah. go into the city to see the Macy's Day Parade and miss it by an hour because she got the train times wrong. But it is a lovely moment because Jessica explains the reason why the photograph is so important to them and should be on this memory board is because it was just a normal family failure, not the normal failures that happened to this family over and over again. Yeah. It's a it's a failure that any other family in that city of New York. No, absolutely, have. absolutely. So it, I I just thought this was all like really really just nicely done actually mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing in, in some ways with this episode you are seeing the 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 bereavement for for dorothy really coming from jessica yeah. you kind of assume it from trish and, and you can see that but then obviously and i think maybe moving into case note five yeah we see actually the reality of what trish is doing um behind that curtain of, of grief that she she has um, she's still thinking about the wins. You know, you, you hear that moment where I had that one win and you took it away from me. Yeah. I couldn't even have that. And even with her mom in the funeral home, she's having to go out and get wins. Or she is being driven by her mom's mantra of, if you're going to do something, do it to your best potential. Mm-hmm. And she feels that the days of front of camera uh, are gone in a sense and now she has to work behind camera in the shadows yeah. so to speak so it, it's uh, case note number five caught in the act this point has uh, multiple uses we have trish caught in the act um obviously with uh jace uh, montero uh, in, in his kind of uh porter cabin at one of the construction, construction uh, yards yeah you say uh, obviously i watched this episode three times and it was only the third time i saw the sign for jace montero okay <laughs> i missed it so many times really it was framed so i know well. i was writing every single episode because i was going why is eric standing outside in this construction site after a funeral there's no reason for him to be there <laughs> it's night time why is he there when uh, trish only left her apartment in the morning time i'm like what's going on here <laughs> well the other thing that was framed really well was uh stupid sexy malcolm's abs uh the marvel marvel's malcolm abs make an appearance as barry and him effectively get it on yeah it's uh you know she she's come back into town eric's sister mm-hmm. uh, doesn't want to let him know she wants a place just to crash for a few days while she gets herself back on her feet yep. and can prove this to eric and after being given the sofa uh, by malcolm to sleep on and um, she is pretty quick at wanting to test out those springs on it <laughs> yeah it's an interesting one we talked about before malcolm's sex addiction um and how that might have played a part mm-hmm. in, in the previous incident in this one, the predication comes from basically Malcolm being told that he's a good guy, that he's doing the right thing. He's a nice, uh, mm-hmm. including giving his leftover Indian leftover, like that's in the <laughs> fridge, and that that seems yeah. to be the catalyst for this. Um, yeah. Now, Brianna. Whether she is on the the right path or not, we'll have to wait and see. It's all going to be interesting. But it does instantly kind of go back to, oh, no, is Malcolm sliding? But it looks like it's this weird thing. He's zigging and he's zagging. So one moment he Mm -hmm. looks like he is sliding back into those really bad habits. And then the next is 
he he quits working with Jerry and the Hogarth associates. Um, he breaks up with Zaya, uh, and yeah. all because he wants to be better. He wants to work for Alias. He wants to be the right person. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, does this. And the question is, okay, are you doing this because it's a sex addiction? Are you doing this because someone's saying that you're being good? It, it's just so, it, it's, like I said, it's a zig and it's a zag. It's really compact to- storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> like, genuinely, you know, in New York, it's such a vibrant city that you can break up with your long-term girlfriend who you were talking about moving in with, and then a couple of hours later, one of your friend's sisters stay in your house and you're having sex with her. Like, you know, it's that fast. You don't even have to leave your apartment to, to find a new relationship, you know? <laughs> I love this. I don't know whether it's to do with whether it's to do with sex addiction or whether they just needed this story to kind of play out a little bit more and didn't have much screen time. But I do like it. I love that, you know, the first time we see Brianna now, not Barry, remember? Yeah. <laughs> this is the last time when we were introduced to her first. It was, no, it's Barry, not Brianna. Now it's Brianna, not Barry, because she's changing her life. Um, but the, she immediately arrives and says, I'm not going to force anything on you Malcolm and then within two hours the two of them are sleeping with each other not even two hours <laughs> you're right it's like 20 minutes or something he goes in and checks us with some leftovers in the fridge and then that's it yeah basically. yeah and I mean is it emblematic of Malcolm's wish to be seen to be good more down to earth you know he's left the high-flying job he's kind of broken up with the high-flying sort of soon-to-be partner of this high-flying law firm mm-hmm. so she's a high flyer but it, you know, and you have that conversation uh, between him and Zaya where she's going, you know, why do you not want to have this, these riches that you, you're a capable guy, you're good at what you do, yet you're willing to kind of spurn them? You know, what's going on? And is this um, that kind of realignment to him? Okay, done very quickly, granted, but this is your new down to earth girl for the new down to earth Malcolm mm-hmm. with the back-to-basics alias investigation uh, job. Yeah, absolutely. So Malcolm wants to be a good guy, but he's not. Mm-hmm. And now he's pushing towards that, and the dangers of pushing to be a good guy or wanting to be felt as a good guy. We have the Jessica wanting to just be normal and have her business and everything, and th- essentially the danger's there. And then Trish wanting to be a hero. Uh, so much that basically it, it, it's bad. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's really interesting to see all that uh, and yeah. like, how that plays out, especially with Malcolm. But as you said, it's compacted storytelling on Malcolm's story. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. I don't think we needed a huge amount more. You know, mm. this is kind of something. If you had a twenty-two episode series of the show, you'd probably spread these three scenes out over a couple of episodes, kind of thing. You know, but just having it so compacted, if you'd put it together in in one line, as we've done here in our notes, it just seems. Oh, he broke. He went on a break with his girlfriend. He says, "I need a break." Then this girl moves in with him, and then he sleeps with her all in the same episode. Maybe it is sex addiction when you put it all together that close. Yeah, misses <laughs> his best friend's mother's funeral. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot going on there with old Malcolm. Mm-hmm. So kind of speaking of the, the funeral, let's kind of just cap off our final case note with what mm. you guys thought about this reveal. So Trisha's arms is covered in bruises as she talks uh, in the eulogy about being, uh, living up to your potential, uh, and not giving in and always striving for that, uh, and having mm-hmm. the, the voice of Dorothy, 
like making sure that you are being the best you can be. Uh, and then we start to see that the bruises are covered on Trisha's arms. You see Jessica's, the realization for Jessica that this is, it was Trish. It was Trish all along. But beyond that, that the police are on the way to collect Jessica from the funeral. Yeah. So she runs and then stakes out Trish's apartment for the night. Yeah, in that, in that awesome scene that we talked about earlier on, or that beautiful shot that we talked about earlier yeah. on. Um, it is really interesting, isn't it, that she's able to evade the police overnight, and then just as Trish leaves the apartment and Jess walks into the light, you realise that, that obviously the police were also watching Trish's apartment. They know about Trish. They've already uh, questioned her earlier on in the episode. So they are watching Trish's apartment just like Jessica is, and the minute Jessica walks out of her hiding spot, they see her and come in to pick her up. Um, very smart cops as well. Like they have someone come up behind her before she's able to leap away. They have a gun trained on her, kind of going right. That's it. So um, this, I, I'm kind of intrigued to have Jessica in the custody of the cops, trying to explain what happened with Miss Bammer. Um, I'm just intrigued on how she's going to flip it because really she can use a couple of things. She can say, "I knew about this guy's bad side." And I needed some information for a client, so I put a little pressure on him, and then that was it. That was it done. And she isn't actually lying there. Um, but I don't know how she whether she'd get away with that without the help of maybe um, Nelson and Murdoch Law Firm or maybe Hogarth. And she doesn't have access to either of those right now. So um be intrigued to see. I was wondering if we're going to get a Nelson Murdoch and Page cameo next episode. Mm, that would be nice, wouldn't it? One of them. Would be nice. I, I, I'm thinking yeah. most likely Karen Page. Basically, I, that's where my head is at. Maybe we'll get, she'll come in as the, the, the de facto crossover. Hey, look, they're still talking to each other. All these characters are playing nice. And yeah. we that gets her out because she's not going to go to Jerry. Or she does go to Jerry. I wish it was, it's going to be an interesting. I wish it was Matt. Matt's, Matt's been her lawyer all the way throughout the comic books and has been her lawyer on screen in the Defenders before. I wish he yeah. was the one that did the crossover. And in Defenders, they kind of had that rapport between that each other. So it, it would be kind of good to have uh, Matt Murdock show up here oh, to do defend her. But yeah, it'll be interesting how she deals with that. But I think, I, I wondered, was there a time jump here in a sense? Because it's at night and Eric's gone over to um that cabin uh is is that the night before where she's followed trish to that location or is it immediately after i just wasn't Mm. entirely sure on that but not that it matters too much but i just wondered maybe that's why you know that scene we talked about before you do see jessica's expression darken and get more angry and Mm -hmm. is that because she's come and gone from that uh, spot and yeah. and she's followed Trish and knows that and that's why Eric is there because she's called Eric in to actually go in and see what's happening or something maybe probably not but I, I just wondered whether there was a bit of timey-wimey wibbly-wobbly stuff going I t- on I took it very much as later that night like literally we'd get the captions yeah and from our discussion earlier on Chris that, that point that you're making as well I'm wondering whether this is just Eric is standing outside while his, I guess, trained vigilante is going in and taking care of business with Jace Montaro. Um, and Jessica hasn't seen this. But he looks really surprised when he goes in, in the sense of maybe how far she is going. I think it's how vicious, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the screams from the guy going, help me, is definitely yeah. a uh, is definitely one that he doesn't want to want to hear. Um, he's not a hero, remember? He might be trying to change his ways, but he's always been the guy that ran away in the past. And the idea that somebody could be getting brutally beaten or beaten to death um, 
on his watch might still be rankling with them as well. So uh, it is pretty interesting, though. 100%. I, I took the, the the last bit is that just that shot. And it's a feral mm-hmm. cat. It literally, exactly. her hair is standing up. She's in that kind of crouch pose. And the body is, or the, the victim, Jace, is mutilated to a degree. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and I didn't know how badly it was only when we saw the scars on Salinger's face where mm-hmm. it looked like he'd been clawed. Yes, exactly. And it, basically that's almost her MO now. She's cut, like knifing yeah. these people. And I take this now as actually, if you were a, a vigilante, having someone being able to tell you when they're, when these people are just bad people is good. Mm-hmm. If you were to then take them to the cops, but Trish's, Trish, Trish's craziness uh, or her her fractured belief that she should be the one stopping these people because they may go on to become a Salinger and a Salinger hurts people like Dorothy and other they be yeah. other people these people may become Salinger and take someone else's mother. I think that's where we're going. And it's to her. She has the power. She is a hero. But just the bloodlust in that final scene yeah. was just oh, it was fantastic. Absolutely. And it is really interesting, isn't it? Because we talked about earlier on in the season where Jessica heard about Eric's powers for the first time and did kind of want to use him as radar for who's good, who's bad. Um, and it seems like he may now have approached Trish to take on that role, knowing that Jessica might have some problems. Or maybe Trish approached him um, to take on that role, one or the other, but they didn't go to Jessica with this, yeah. is the probably more important yeah. point. Um, so we'll definitely see how that plays out in future episodes. That's kind of the end of our case notes for the episode. Um, just one thing I really wanted to point out, because I absolutely loved it. I've always loved Jessica Jones, and this just confirmed it for me where she goes through the tickets of the concerts that she's gone to, and we have uh, Jane's Addiction and Nine Inch yeah. Nails showing up there, John. I think, that was uh, cool. You got a little flashback there to uh, Oxygen 2009 when we went to see Jane's Addiction followed by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, that was superb, yeah. yeah. That was pretty awesome. And we spent a long time in the Red Bull tent, which seemed to be more the vodka tent with Red Bull, yes, I think, it was, yes. if I remember <laughs> rightly. Yeah, uh, awesome. yeah, no, that was a, that was a great little... Uh, set there yeah. I think the Ting Tings were on as well they were they were on just before Jensen Dixon yeah. pretty awesome yeah, yeah Smith's good, not, not good. as big a fan of the Smiths especially not now but um. well exactly the Smiths are, are great love their music but unfortunately uh, uh, Morrissey has uh, gone a bit uh, stark raving bonkers yeah. uh, as well <laughs> he has uh, Chris anything else got on in the episode that you want to talk about no nothing for me I do I just want to I, I, again the ending I talk about this a lot this season uh, just the the final scene, it it hurt. I got down to the final second in the countdown, <laughs> going, they won't know, the guys won't know, it'll be fine, I can go on. Like it, I just, well, how's Jessica going to get out of this one? And oh my god, mm-hmm. is this guy dead? No, 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 no. Luckily, luckily, I had a little Derek on my shoulder. Um, <laughs> it's basically I have a Derek and John, one on each shoulder. One is the devil, and one is the angel. I let our fellow <laughs> defenders decide. Who is telling me to do what? We all know who's a Zerophil and Crowley in this relationship. Yes, exactly. So no, no, no additional notes for me. I'm the one wearing white and a kilt. Well, exactly, John. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there is a lunchtime uh, whiskey watch. I think we've had a a, a, a morning mm-hmm. sort of waking up whiskey watch, uh, but we have a lunchtime whiskey watch here again, same brand yeah. uh, as. Uh, uh, 
JJ heads on over to Eric's apartment for a, a little bit of a nightcap, but at lunchtime. Yes, yes. Oh, and also, I did want to point out, we got a bit of feedback from Steve Brown a couple of episodes ago asking about would Jessica Jones not have any kind of ill impact to her um, splenectomy uh, back in episode three. Uh, interesting, she does point out in this episode that she does have accelerated healing, not massively fast. One of the cops asks her, would her hands have healed from killing Newspammer the previous night? And she says, I do have accelerated healing, but not that fast. So just to point out, they are actually covering off that Jessica could have healed quite easily from an operation. It would take her a little bit of time and she would still have to have antibiotics, but it would heal uh, in a quicker time than anybody else. Just to, just to point that out, that it was in there. So um, that's it. I think that's it for our notes. Yeah. So with that, Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones, season three, episode 10, a.k.a. Hero Pants? I absolutely defend this episode, mostly because it felt like an episode you need in the final season of a final show of this, these Netflix shows. You know, we're, we're getting to the end of our four years of covering Marvel on Netflix. That's massive for all of us, I'm sure. Massive for the listeners out there who've been with us all the, all the time, or the new listeners who are joining us at the moment. And it's kind of sad that we're getting really close to the end. So having an episode that's focused on one of the major characters and a funeral and everybody going through the emotions of saying goodbye to a character who has been a massive part of the story since the beginning, it's kind of touching and kind of needed yeah. for me. So um, I thought it was done fantastically. I said that this Big props to the director on this episode. Some beautiful shots uh, in here and some beautiful moments in here. I think this is going to be one of my favorites that I'll come back to in the future uh, after the series is over. There's also some great story moments going on and a fantastic cliffhanger at the end. But just seeing Jessica go through that time of mourning in this episode kind of brought me along uh, with it, uh, with her as well, I think. So, yes, I do defend this episode. Chris, do you defend season three, episode 10 of Jessica Jones? I do. Um, pretty much the points you mentioned that the scene with Jessica crying for me was actually emotional for me. And I don't usually feel a, an emotional kind of an emotion, an emotional emotion, if you will, uh, when there is these on screen deaths or uh, people crying on screen. But just the, the, the shot, the grief that, that you feel throughout building throughout this episode on Jessica's mm-hmm. face, on Kristen Ritter's face. And I should call out Kristen Ritter for this. Like, the mm-hmm. performance Definitely. across this episode, obviously across these seasons, but especially in this episode, was amazing. Um, yeah. So I 100% defend this because for what you said, but also they managed to subvert my expectations. They managed to subvert mm-hmm. my opinion on Dorothy. Uh, and yeah. literally, Dorothy is dead and now... I'm looking back to all the things I've said about her in our episodes going, oh, but maybe we took it wrong. We did. We took it all wrong. Yeah. She was a bad person, but she didn't mean to be a bad person all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It was misunderstood. Misunderstood Dorothy. The unreliable narrators who are her daughters who didn't want to be controlled all the time. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I all in all, I completely defend this episode. John. Do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones, Season 3, Episode 10? I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. I give it four and a half Lindbergh babies out of five. Imagine the mess with that one. Um, Yeah, I thought uh, this was superb. I love the fact that Dorothy spoke to us from beyond the grave here, both touchingly um, and 
slightly contradictory with her tax haven slash charity, <laughs> but also acidically uh, all from beyond the grave. You know, I am most definitely pro-zombie Dorothy, uh, I think, here. <laughs> uh, I really like Jessica's outpouring of grief, that slow build to that kind of breakdown in front of the mirror, and the fact that actually we saw this death uh, and the grief impact Jessica, really. We, we we don't really see Trish. It's not to say that she hasn't had it, but it, it's kind of assumed. Uh, but then that ending is is fantastic, where we really see that maybe Trish's grieving is really behind anger and vengeance at this moment yeah. in time. Yeah. It, it's a more violent outpouring. Um, and I, I think that there was a really big ending there seeing her uh involved in, in probably all, the death of jace montero but also the the death of nussbaumer as well and i think the, the the conflict the contradictions and the you know the new starts of malcolm um it was really interesting i i really enjoy uh his kind of conflict that he seems to have mm-hmm. but it may be a new start um but certainly there's a, a lot of contradictions in there so yeah, yeah. absolutely defend this episode and i agree it, it's one of those episodes that really um i think is great for a final episode it, it feels really deep and emotional which of course a funeral episode should be exactly um in, in that sense it, it reminds me of how six feet under uh, used to to do it where it really imbued this very emotional institution of a funeral home with really deep emotional uh family driven stuff um so absolutely defend this episode absolutely fantastic really really good episode overall Uh, no feedback in at the moment for this episode we're cracking through our podcasting and cracking through the episodes of jessica jones right now not leaving enough time i think for people to send in their thoughts about these episodes as they go but if i do get any more feedback in before i drop the episode uh, i will put them into this section right now and we do have some feedback. First off, I want to say a huge thank you to Judy Gorman for your five-star iTunes review. We got that. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate any five-star reviews uh, for our podcast. And thank you so much for that over on iTunes. Judy also pointed out that we haven't actually ever said the schedule for Jessica Jones. We've been working so hard recording these episodes and getting them out to you as quickly as possible. We've completely forgot to tell you what our actual schedule is. Uh, we record and release two episodes each week. Hopefully, if we can get everybody together, we'll have all three of us on each podcast uh, for the most part unfortunately that hasn't been possible this season and i know we're going to be missing chris for at least one more episode uh, this season hopefully getting him on for the last two but i know he has one more trip to go before we finish recording uh, we will have two more episodes out next week and then one final episode will come out the following week and that will be our final episode for jessica jones and for defenders tv podcast so judy thanks so much for reminding me to say that in the podcast uh, we do have another piece of feedback from the wonderful dr bob phillips he says on this episode poor jj her heart breaking and breaking as all the good and lovely things crumble away and fall the young girl ringing dorothy clearly took her over the edge what a performance from Kristen ritter and as a lead into the other side of dorothy all the good stuff she had managed to do for people at the funeral what a way to crack our established ideas of her The way Jerry is meandering around the place is unnerving. Is she good? What is she getting out of this? How is she going to get what she needs? Where is this ego inflating going? We have Malcolm wobbling again, or perhaps not, and a very nice sequence where we get to see the benefits of working out. The other brilliant sequence for me was the cycling around the still waiting Jessica, half shadow, half light, and us unclear if we are going to go with which one will win or she is both. 
but the reveal cliffhanger of hero-turned-executioner Hello Kitty Punisher was a twist I'd really not seen coming. And I'm slightly confused as to how Eric can stand there without a blinding headache. Cannot wait for the next episode, but I will do. Thanks so much, Bob. Some great points in there. Yeah, we, I know we called out a number of these during the episode, but definitely Kristen Ritter's performance is top quality in this episode. Just her ability to break and crack as she goes throughout this episode, eventually falling into tears in that mirror sequence is, is brilliant. I really have no idea where we're going with Jerry. She just seems to get worse and worse as a human being in the show as we go along. In regards to Hello Kitty Punisher, fantastic name, by the way, um, and Eric, uh, we'll probably see how that's going to play out in the next episode. So uh, I don't want to speculate too much as to what's going to be happening on there. But thanks for your feedback. As always, Bob, great to hear from you. Wow, that was some great feedback. Imagine that's what I'm going to be saying if we did get feedback in there. Yeah, thanks everyone so much for all the feedback. But what if we have none, then none of that makes any sense. But it makes even more sense (laughs) because it's an Easter egg. Maybe. (laughs) No, an audio Easter egg, if you will. But thank you so much, everyone. And don't forget, if you want to send any feedback to us, you can email it through at feedback at Defenders TV Podcast, or you can head over to tvpodcastindustry.com and leave us a voicemail over there. Don't forget as well, you can join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Defenders TV Podcast. And don't forget to obviously over on Facebook, sign up and follow TV Podcast Industries, the, the home to everything, Defenders, Gotham and everything coming soon. Yes, loads of stuff coming up. Uh, we got Pennyworth and the boys coming up towards the end of July. So that, that's on the radar already. We've got San Diego Comic-Con, which is going to tell us our schedule for the next mm, six years, I think, uh, in just a couple of weeks <laughs> time. So uh, make sure you subscribe to us on TVPodcastIndustries.com to get everything that we cover. And we do have feeds for multiple things that are going on, like Defenders TV Podcast covering the Marvel Universe but subscribe to us on TV Podcast Industry you'll get everything that we're talking about thanks so much for joining us we'll talk to you again soon yes thank you so much everyone we'll be back with our review of the next episode of Jessica Jones aka Hellcat really soon so get your feedback in now yeah thank you so much fellow defenders for joining us it's a pleasure as always I'm off to change into my hero pants uh, but once I've taken my tight fitting budgie smugglers off we'll be back to speak with you again next time with a slightly deeper voice. <laughs> I was more worried about the uh, the once I take them off, I'll be back to speak to you. I hope you're going to put something else on. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, grand. Talcum powder. Lots and lots of talcum powder. <laughs> Absolutely. And then he'll add water and he'll become a paste. Have tin. That's, a, that's an old friend's reference. Yes, purpose. have tin opener at the ready. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what else is an old friend's reference? I'm on a break. Oh, now I'm sleeping with your sister. Exactly. (laughs) We were on a break. break. (laughs) Right. Bye. 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 Bye.